When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. I've been called many names in the past. Seducer, accuser, destroyer. <laughs> New face of fear, my advice is flee, keep suitcases near, vacate the premises, placate your innocence, fate is unpretty, we embrace the blemishes, seek these shepherds, and I only need... Hey guys, check this out, we we set a deadline, we said we would come out on a certain uh, date, and for three episodes in a row, we've hit that deadline, so that's pretty exciting. We just, we just beat, like, we just beat Geekscape Games record. <laughs> uh so welcome to episode three of the double count out podcast um holy shit i didn't ever anticipate that there'd be this much to talk about in a week and and some change but it has been a very uh very big series of things that have happened since uh before the royal rumble but like the day that we released the episode the next day Enzo Amore gets released, which just completely throws some of our predictions out the window. <laughs> and, I completely forgot that happened already. Yeah. Like, so much has happened since then. That I <laughs> totally forgot that it, that was that recent. Yeah. Like, I'm still it, upset over it, so uh, so I didn't forget. And we, See, we, got, I, we got Rockstar Spud. It's okay. I was going to say, two, so I watched the 205 Live for the first time in like six months. Pretty much since they got rid of Talking Smack. I watched 205 Live. And... Uh, I like everything that I'm seeing. You got Rockstar Spud up there with whatever his name is, Drake Drake Maverick. And uh, I like the the character that he's playing. I, I like the vignettes that they're doing. And I really like that they're basically just like, okay, everyone wins these guys during the cruiserweight, uh, like the big cruiserweight championship thing that we did. Let's just do that on 205 Live for the next eight weeks. And now I'm like, okay, well, now I have to watch 205 Live because I want to see these qualifying matches for, for the Cruiserweight title. Um, but let's, I, I mean, we'll just very briefly discuss the Enzo thing because it's been probably discussed to death on enough podcasts and it's not really the most uplifting thing to talk about anyway. But uh, Enzo was released, uh, as as you guys all know. Um, and there was not even well wishes. No, no, well no, wishes. we wish you the best. Well, when they said that, like, 
In most cases, he would get the Rich Swan treatment where he's put on suspension until there is mm-hmm. a definitive yes or no. But it seems like this was very much like the the last straw for him as yeah. far as like having enough backstage heat and then knowing that this was coming down the pipeline but not saying anything and allowing them to build yeah. an entire division around him and also yeah. lose two of the biggest cruiserweights that they had. <laughs> like, how hard do you yeah. think they were calling Neville and Austin Aries pretty much Tuesday morning? Just <laughs> like, I, I feel like if they, yeah, I feel like if they, if they could not come to like, at this point, I'm sure they offered him as close to a blank check as they possibly could have. <laughs> and if he still did not come back, I don't think we will ever see him again. Yeah. Uh, in, in WWE and 205 Live or whatever. Uh, the whole thing is so interesting, though. I don't know how much you guys have been following oh, it, but I this is I, pan, it's pandemonium because it's yeah. Like I've I've been re- like I've been looking at it as much as I can. Like I I you know I know people are very hit or miss on the guy, but I was a pretty big like I was a fan of him. I always was very entertained when he came out. Um, you know, I finally got the chance to when I went to SmackDown in October. Finally got to see. Uh, you know his uh, one of his entrances live on uh, on 205 live and that was like one of the highlights of that trip and so I've kind of been following it as much as possible uh, oh it's so like it, it sounds like the main issue was that he was fully aware of this investigation since October and did not tell the company about it but it sounds like like if if the P- these other people surrounding this girl can be believed. It sounds like the whole thing might be bullshit at the same time. Like, I don't know if you guys saw it, but there was a YouTube video from one of her close ex friends. And there was like screenshots of, of a group text message that was talking about how, you know, she was gloating about being in bed with a famous wrestler and stuff like that. And that same person, like on their personal Instagram, almost a week before these accusations went public was talking about how disappointed he was in her for like doing all this shit and faking a rape and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and that was like posted before these allegations came out. Um, and she even has like, apparently she has a very big history of, of the like weird goings on and, and had posted a YouTube video on her own channel about how at, at one point she had like faked a pregnancy. So somebody wouldn't break up with her or something like that. Like, it's interesting because it's something where it's either like, like it's just so hard to, to, to feel like who, whose side should you be leaning towards until uh, obviously the proof comes out because I like either he's a rapist and a terrible fucking human being, or she's like insane. Like, (laughs) like they're two very, very like harsh. We uh, we also can't put aside the possibility that it's both. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it could be. That's like another option. Uh, Or he's just trying to pursue a rap career. Is the other option? Oh, apparently, I, I also read about that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, the, I mean, the good news is if you're really into Enzo's merch, it's all like five bucks right now. This is true. <laughs> so the best, which, thing- which he's still getting better treatment than Eric Bischoff. If you remember when Bischoff left, they started selling his book for a penny. <laughs> no way on WWE shop. Yeah, but the other thing, the, I mean, the the good thing, bad thing, whatever. At least Enzo was in the company long enough to make Drew Gulak one of the most over people on the roster because. <laughs> He got like I when I was watching 205 Live, when he showed up on screen, the amount of cheers and obviously like he's a Philly guy. So there's like a little bit of an extra push there. But holy crap, like people love Drew Gulak, which is great because he deserves to be loved. But then this is all still pre Royal Rumble last week. Uh, We also had the Raw 25 anniversary show, which was debatable on it. 
which I think is the problem. Yeah, and, like there was a great opening, and then that was it. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then the show I, ended and, there. <laughs> like, like I think with that, like it was just something where it was like there was nothing, there was nothing bad about it. There just wasn't anything that felt that good about it or that special about it either aside from like like seeing the manhattan center set um and everything like that like that looked incredible and i was so excited for it and then they didn't do anything with it it was crazy utilize it aside from this like like weirdly confusing like is he like is he done or is he (laughs) is he not done undertaker promo that didn't make any like it didn't make any more sense than like him him leaving his stuff in the ring but then it's all like ooh, is he done or is that a like the is that a challenge like commentary piece that uh, i can't remember if it was jr or or what that said as soon as he like finished that promo but uh, like i just want to fucking know just tell us is he coming back or not yeah it's it's very <laughs> like that was weird and then like you just you do nothing with this that set was amazing though i love that it looks set. so good it was so spot on the yeah. the the uh what was it ib pro even the like ico, yeah, pro, ico pro and oh, stuff so yeah good. And then, still before Royal Rumble, we get the XFL announcement. So like, <laughs> so, like, we just had all types of crazy things happening in WWE. Then there's a New Japan thing for two nights, which which Josh told us about. And I watched uh, both of the main events for that. And that was amazing. Like, it was an amazing... Like, I don't want to stress this enough. This last, like, week... Or really just at the time that we're recording, it's Wednesday. So the last like five days have just been incredible five days of wrestling. <laughs> Even the like like the 24 based on the Orlando WrestleMania. That was fantastic. Oh, I still got to well. watch it. I've seen the commercials for it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I saw the commercials, though. And then they kept showing the parts where like Nikki Bella's like, I had no idea what he was going to ask me when like everyone. I believe her. I believe her, man. I mean, everyone is like pretty much confirmed essentially that that they had gotten engaged privately like months before and they just decided to turn it into an angle for me <laughs> I, I was gonna say everybody oh, and their mom knew like we we're all just sitting there like okay so john Cena. it wasn't will john cena propose that was never <laughs> that was never a question it was will john cena propose after they lose or after they win like that was what people were trying to figure out right <laughs> <laughs> It definitely uh, the the episode had some really cool stuff in there though like like in in that in that piece uh, like John Cena talk there's a little clip with John Cena he's talking about how his like mom for instance has never shown an interest or never understood or whatever like the you know how big it is what what he does and what the company does and uh, it shows him coming in and then he spots his mom. And he had no idea she was there. And you can literally, he, like, they up the mics and you can hear him say, like, holy shit, there's my mom. Like, and it's so funny seeing this, like, grown ass, like, one of the most popular men in the entire world being like, holy shit, my mom's <laughs> here. Like, just just funny stuff like that. And and it uh, you get to see, um, interestingly enough, you see some, like, out of character uh, Undertaker, a inter- little, little bit of interview with Undertaker out of character Um you know, talking like, again, it's like something where you, it's interesting. You see him before the match and he looks like he can barely walk. And when that clip started, I was like, oh man, he looks rough after that match. And then I did not realize that it was before the match had even started until later. Um, but yeah. And then you see him like kind of get interviewed right after and, and, you know, talking about how like, like he, he is ready to kind of ride off into the sunset. Um, but then he's like, but we'll see what tomorrow brings. And it's like, fuck, just tell us something. <laughs> like, but uh, that 24 is like one of the best 
it is amazing. Every single episode is pure gold and I, I enjoy it so much. And it's so interesting. Like he, you know, there's stuff like, like total divas and stuff, which I, which I have a lot of fun and I, with, and I, you know, I've watched every episode of, um, but like 24 is something where it's just really interesting. Cause you really get to see some of the, the like magic behind the curtain, like, and it feels, it feels real and, and see some of these people for who they really are and not for their characters. And that's something that I think that no other show on the network shows yeah. off as well as the S24 does needs to do more of that. I, I still really want a second season of breaking ground. I thought breaking ground. <laughs> oh, like, that I love was that. A phenomenal show. Now, before we dive into all of the things that happened during Royal rumble weekend, because there are, all of the things to talk about. Uh, Josh, you are definitely more of the uh, New Japan wrestling guru on this particular show. So explain to us a little bit about what New Beginnings is, because I don't know what it is. I watched the two main events. I enjoyed them, but there was a very lacking of context, obviously, from someone who pretty much watches Wrestle Kingdom and nothing else each year. Yeah, so basically with New Beginning, it's like the first... I guess essentially like major pay-per-view that they have after Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I guess the equivalent, this is kind of feels like the raw after WrestleMania. Cause it kind of establishes the new status quo going forward for the rest of the year. But like the new year's, like the day after Wrestle Kingdom when they do new year's dash is also kind of that same theme. So it's kind of like, they just do a few, they kind of set the stage at the new year's show. And then at this set of shows that they did this past weekend, they kind of, start trickling out some of the major storylines like essentially day by day where each main okay. is like a major uh major match setting things up so like the first day was uh suzuki versus tanahashi where um tanahashi was the intercontinental champion but in real life he's been wrestling hurt for like eight months now to the point where like he's falling apart essentially and he really should have been gone a while ago because he's been wrestling with a torn bicep this whole time and since then, as I think developed a knee injury and yet he keeps retaining and it got to the point where we were talking about it right after we finished watching it, that every time he defended the belt, you would just assume, oh, he's going to lose it and, you know, go recover. And yet he's retained every match since for like eight months now. So this time when he was fighting Suzuki and Suzuki doesn't tend to win a lot of his big matches these days. So this is like the one time where I didn't even really give it a second thought. I was like, oh, Tanahashi's probably winning. And of course, since you said you watched the match, Matt, so... Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't know how I feel about Suzuki. I want to throw that out there right now. I, I mean, I get that the dude's like almost 50, so that probably has a lot to do with it. But like... Is his is his gimmick that he kind of doesn't sell a lot? Like he just kind of seems I, I don't know, there's something about him as a person that I didn't like. Like his gimmick is essentially that he's a shoot fighter almost. Okay. But not not to the degree of like Brock Lesnar where they make him look like completely unstoppable, but he his gimmick is like both being essentially like a shoot fighter but he's also like this crazy motherfucker who will like murder you and wrestle just for the sake of hurting you kind of which i which i saw that because there was a point where like he could have very easily pinned him and instead went for the submission like it was almost like a sick depraved decision that he was making yeah at like that he, point he hit his finisher like, for i think the first time in like six months i swear to god i've never seen him hit that pile driver for like a really long time <laughs> but he hit the pile driver and yeah instead of pinning him he put him in the heel hook again because the whole thing was he was trying to hurt his knee even worse and it was already hurt 
Like he wasn't really going for the win as much as he was going for just trying to hurt him. And if if I if I recall correctly, because again, I, I told you that uh, I was watching it at work and the only versions I could find were all in Japanese. So I was like, well, volume down then. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Uh, I saw the ref throw up the X. Was there even an actual tap or was it a decision of like, he can't take any more? Yeah, it was essentially done as a ref stoppage. Like, okay. it's a big thing in Japan, even more so than here, where it's like the top baby faces. Because Tanahashi was the top guy. And I think I mentioned this before, but Tanahashi was the top guy before Okada was. So, like, Tanahashi is essentially the equivalent to John Cena if Okada was the equivalent to Roman Reigns. Like, he's the previous top guy, but he's still in a lot of high-profile feuds and everything. Okay. So they were trying to portray it as like, oh, he'll... He'll never give up, but the only reason he lost is because he has all these injuries. If you couldn't tell, he had the giant wrap around one arm, yeah, and he couldn't did, even lift it all the way. Now, did the title change then because of that? Do they allow title changes for that stuff? Yeah. he. Okay. Uh, so Suzuki won the Intercontinental title from there. And I can never remember. Does The title changes if they pass out in WWE as well, correct? Uh, yeah. I think okay. that's how Kevin Owens won the NXT title from Sami Zayn, right? I think so. Or I think it's how Samoa Joe got it off of Finn Balor. Yeah, I think it was both cases, actually. Yeah, but OK. So, I, yes, it's something that I don't see enough that I don't ever remember how that plays out, because <laughs> usually it's right. like it's not done a lot in WWE during a title match. It's normally just like, hey, here's two guys that we're trying to push equally and we want them to both look like that. I thought they were going to do that with the Ember Moon match for a second. Oh, dude, I oh, we'll get into that. Because it was very similar how, like, the Ember Moon match and the Tanahashi match were very similar in the sense that in both cases, it was most of the matches, the heel just putting the baby face in, like, their submission move for, like, forever. <sighs> Except with, in the case of the Tanahashi match, he actually won with it. Which, by the way, did you notice how he was twisting his leg? Yeah. Like, it kept looking like his leg was twisted all the way around. It was pretty disgusting. Yeah, no, that, was, uh, that was a little <laughs> <But> rough. Yeah. <laughs> So it's pretty it was pretty interesting because now they're making it sound like um, Tanahashi is going to be out for the rest of the year. And they're trying to make Suzuki look even more dangerous since he lost his hair versus hair match at Wrestle Kingdom. It's like now he's more violent and more reinvigorated after that loss is what they're trying to push. So it'll be interesting to see like a lot of Suzuki's gimmick comes from his reputation because he's. He was pretty much like a father of MMA in Japan, like legitimately. And when he was younger, he had a reputation of like torturing the trainees and stuff. So he kind of carries that with him into his character. All right. It's kind of a lot of it just comes from his reputation, essentially, because I think he's been wrestling for like 30 years now, something like that. All right. So then the other the other main event that that you uh, recommended I watch was uh, Omega versus Jay White. Which I will say I liked I like Suzuki more. I like the Suzuki match more, but I god damn it if I don't love just what Kenny Omega does when he's in a ring. <laughs> like Like there's something I don't know, there's something about Jay White so far that's not clicking. Um Yeah, that's what it, it my only problem was yeah, I just did not care about Jay White. <laughs> like, yeah, because he just made his big re debut at Wrestle Kingdom as his current as his current character, so like this is it's almost unheard of in New Japan for someone who's re-debuting to get all these title shots so soon. But his very first match with his re-debut was against Tanahashi for the Intercontinental title, which he lost. 
And then his very next match was against Omega for the U.S. title, which he actually won, which is kind of surprising to me. Yeah, that's a that it was weird to see two title changes on like back to back main event title changes. I guess two nights in a row because again WWE, I'm not really used to seeing seeing that happen. <laughs> that like they'll slingshot the same belt sometimes, but usually it's not just like you know back to back to back to back like right, right. But yeah, d- the big story coming out of that match was less the match itself and more what happened immediately afterwards. Yeah. Which is actually pretty surprising. I wasn't expecting them to go with this storyline so soon, even though they've been teasing it for a while. But it kind of makes me wonder what they're going to do with Omega and the Bullet Club going forward. Well, explain what what happened afterwards for, for those not, not familiar. Yeah, so essentially, um, Cody, Cody Rhodes and um, Kenny Omega have been having some dissension within Bullet Club for a few months now. Uh, and then at the last show that they did, they had Cody Rhodes versus Kota Ibushi, who was uh, Kenny Omega's old tag team partner and at times is implied to be his, like, like they've been in a relationship together, apparently. But anyway, Cody tried to attack Ibushi after the match at the previous show, and Omega stopped him, which made it look like they were going to fight then. But once Omega lost the U.S. title to Jay White... um. What's his name? Um, Marty Scro- um No, Hangman Page. Sorry. Uh, Hangman Page came out to challenge uh, Jay White for the title. And Omega cut him off and told him to let Jay have his moment, which led to a big argument between uh, Cody and Omega again. So in the, in the heat of the argument, um, Matt from the Young Bucks tried to calm Kenny down. And he accidentally pushed him. And the storyline that they're doing is that Matt's already um, hurt with a back injury. So the Young Bucks, who are supposed to be Kenny's best friends, kind of abandoned him in the ring because they got mad that he pushed him. And from there, it kind of made it look like they made peace. But then Cody turned around and attacked him. And um, Marty Skrull and Hangman Page came back in and they uh, jumped, uh, jumped Kenny which makes it look like he's been kicked out of the Bullet Club and that Cody's probably going to be the new leader. But um, during the beatdown, uh, Cody Ibushi came back to uh, help rescue him, and then they kind of reunited. So it's left a lot of it left a lot up in the air as far as what's happening with Bullet Club because whether he's officially out or not, or if it's going to be like a NWO black and white versus Wolfpack type thing, since the young bucks role in it is kind of ambiguous and they're kind of already, they were kind of already their own like branch of the bullet club as the elite to begin with. So it'll be interesting to see what the young bucks do. I think that's the biggest question going forward with what's going to happen with the bullet club. And it's also pretty obvious that, you know, Kenny Omega and Cody Ibushi are going to be uh, working together again and kind of reuniting that tag team, which is all really, really cool. It's just, from a business standpoint, as hot as Kenny is right now, it kind of seems weird if they actually do completely split him from the Bullet Club to do it now. Yeah. But other than that, it, I thought it was a really well done angle. And the crowd was so into it. There's people crying in the ring when they hugged each other. <laughs> no, uh... So let's talk about what happened this weekend on the main roster. Uh, let's start with TakeOver, which... I gotta say, my expectations weren't super high for TakeOver, but I would say this was... This is just continuing the string of TakeOver being fucking fantastic. 
Like, like I'd be yeah. the only match that I could even have the slightest complaint about is weirdly the Velveteen Dream match, and it had nothing to do with the Velveteen Dream. It had everything to do with Cassius Ono just feeling like I don't know if he was working uh-huh. injured or what, but like someone wrote online like. You wouldn't know that Ka- that Ono was the veteran in this and Velveteen Dream was the rookie watching this match. Huh, really? I had the complete opposite yeah. um, reaction watching it, actually. I thought it was Velveteen who was, like, stumbling and tripping and moving so fast that it looked like he was like, ahead of himself a lot of the time. But, I mean, yeah. other than that, I didn't really think it was a... I didn't think it was a bad match, per se, but I agree definitely, definitely that it was, like, the, the low point match. of the show. Yeah. It, it didn't feel me- like I, I'm I'm struggling to remember what happened in it now. Like it wasn't memorable, whereas several of the I would say the following three matches were. Yeah, yeah I think the, the most memorable part was him trying to knock him out in 30 seconds. And then after that, oh, it, was, oh, yeah, yeah. it was so good. After that, you could just forget everything else, except I think like the spot that stands out to me, though, is like when I think he went for his Death Valley driver and like fell when he picked up Cassius. I think that was the spot other than the 30 seconds <laughs> that I like. <laughs> that stood out to me uh, the most the other big moment for me though is also um for velveteen dream just because i love the character so much is him coming out and getting the mouthpiece off of this giant pillow that like a shirtless manservant <laughs> is holding like just it's so good it's such a good character his gimmick um, feels like orlando jordan in tna if tna had any tact uh so then before that match though we did have the undisputed error versus the authors of pain which was way better than i thought that match would be um authors of pain definitely need to be debuting on the main roster sooner rather than later uh send them to raw where they apparently have no healthy tag teams at this point I, I I quite love I quite like the finish to that match. I feel like that match had just had some excellent storytelling, and in the in that final like that I, I don't know what their moves called, but the they're like collider. when they bump. Yeah, okay, the super collider, and then that's the moment where his leg collapses, and like oh, it just all happened so perfectly, and I wasn't expecting it at all in that moment. I think is what the biggest thing was, and it was like just a shocking finish finish to me. Yeah, um, it was just so good, and it's so rare that you see. It was it was smart storytelling because you don't want to make the authors of pain seem weak, and at the same time, like just staring at them versus undisputed error, you're like, well, I know who's going to win this, but then you insert this like injured leg element, and then it it twists it where it's like, well, undisputed error can still win the match, but it's not. It's because they basically were wrestling one and a half men. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and it, it did create a really cool storyline. And, and I, I'm glad that we got to witness it. I think that that was a big moment for the undisputed error. Uh, really like keep them. Cause I don't know who they are. Like they're, they're one of those teams that everyone knows who they are because of ring of honor. And I don't watch. Um, so that was kind of cool to be like, okay, I get it. I get why people like these guys. Like I'm on board, but yeah, I think, the, the next three matches was just like, oh, that's the match of the night. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was the match. Oh, that's the <laughs> match. Like, it was just like everyone was trying to outdo each other. Uh, the Ember Moon match, I know a lot of people didn't. I've read a bunch of people who didn't like it, but I thought that it was perfect. Really? I thought it was so I, I fucking loved it. I feel like they booked themselves into a corner a little bit because I didn't feel like either of them were in a position to lose. But if you were going to do it that way, I feel like the match that they had was the best way that you could have done it. 
Yeah, I the only thing I would have done differently is I I don't know how I like the idea of it being such a definitive clean finish for someone that you're pushing so hard. Mm. Um, although I guess it was like a very quick roll up. I just wouldn't have had her get pinned. <clears throat> You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I, it. It felt like it was like a, like it was a like a mistake on Shayna's part. Like she was so confident in what she was doing that 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 wasn't even a possibility, and that's why it happened. Um, which I think is why her freak out afterwards was so effective. Oh, so good. Uh, it was brutal. Oh, I was like, holy shit! Like, oh, it was unreal. And and that like weird like this was not the, the freak out afterwards, but during the match, like that that like arm kick thing that she does it looks it always looks so brutal like how are these people going through that when she like see like stomps on their arm and it like bends all weird well and how cool was it to see and this is going to jump ahead a little bit but to see both ember moon and adam cole appearing in the royal rumble selling the injuries that they had from Mm -hmm. the previous night still like that to me was fucking awesome to see that like uh so I mean, there's really not much. That match was great. I think I'm I'm in the minority that's leaning just a little bit towards still standing by Aleister Black and Adam Cole being the match of the night. But it's like it's head to head with that in the main event. Those that was possibly the best one two punch of of matches I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. It was that match was just it was so brutal and there was so much blood. Like so, that, that is something that was shocking because it's just it, it's not something that you see from a WWE product this, these days. And it it seemed like it came early and it just kept coming. Well, coming. And I didn't know where it came from at first. Like I saw Adam Cole's hand covered in blood, and my initial thought was like, "Oh, he must have cut open Alistair Black, and he's getting blood on his hand mm-hmm. from it." But then I couldn't find any injury on Alistair Black and realized, oh, fuck, <laughs> he like he <laughs> wrecked his hand. <laughs> like, uh, that, And I love the idea that like throughout most of that match, Alistair Black was trying to prove that he could win without using the weapons. Um, but mm-hmm. man, that kendo stick to the stomach. Oh, oh. I was just gonna say that, like, <laughs> you could you could like see it, like you could see the welt there, and it that sound like I, I was I. I, I was finishing that match because um, because I kind of watched the pay per view in a couple chunks and then and there, I had some people over for the Royal Rumble that aren't typical like they don't typically watch wrestling and they were like they were like how is this like like how do you fake that and I was like that's just not fake <laughs> like that is that he just he just took that kendo stick shot and he's gonna be feeling that for a while afterwards uh, the, kendo like, sh- the kendo stick shot paled to that fucking chair the. Death Valley driver. Oh, yeah. Someone posted a picture. I think it was on Uproxx. That was the scene from The Simpsons where Homer falls on the fire hydrant and he's like bent completely in half. (laughs) 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 It's like that. It just was that picture with an arrow pointing at Homer that said Adam Cole. Like it was so. Yeah. Oh, my God. The screams and cringes that that happened. Oh, yeah. It's nice to see like an actual like an extreme rules match that actually feels dangerous. Like it kind of the lately, a lot of like the hell in the cell and the, and the extreme rules matches, they just kind of feel tame by, by like what they used to be. And it reminded me a little bit of like when we had that Usos versus the new day hell in a cell match, where it was like, you expected nothing from that match. And it was one of the most innovative 
and crazy Hell in a Cell matches you'd ever seen. That's kind of how I felt with this Extreme Rules match. I think this random match on a takeover was better than most Extreme Rules matches in the past, like, four years on the main roster. <laughs> mm. But then the main event was equally fantastic. That that was just as much like the, you know, God damn it, Johnny Gargano is the greatest underdog that NXT's ever created moment. <laughs> Blend it with like, you need to show CN almost some respect because this dude is making this title matter again. Dude, like, to me, this match was the match of the night, the best match that NXT's had in a very long time, the best match WWE's had in a very long time. Mm. And I know you were saying earlier that you're in the minority with the uh, Alistair Black match being the best match of the night. But to me, this match stood head and shoulders above everything. And it wasn't even close to me. It was like yeah. everything that they did in this match built upon everything that happened before it. But not just that, but it took every convention that we're used to seeing repeated ad nauseum as wrestling fans and if we go by normal wrestling scripting, that match should have been over like five times. And that was, yeah. Yeah. and it kept going, but in like the best way. Like a lot of times, um, other people and like on other podcasts, they'll often talk about how wrestlers will miss the peak of a match where they're so focused on hitting all their spots that they end up going three or four minutes longer past mm -hmm. the point where the crowd is at its hottest so that when the match does come to an end, the crowd's excitement's kind of died down a bit. But in this case, they would hit the peak and then the peak would just grow and grow and grow. So it's like, you know, when Selena Vega got got attacked by Candice, usually that would immediately lead to Gargano winning, but it didn't. Like when you had all these like near falls or when he would reverse the, um, his finisher and that would normally be an ending and it wasn't in this point. And both guys just gave so much to the point where even though one's a heel and one's the underdog babyface, you really didn't want to see any of them lose because they, you really did feel like both of them like really had earned and deserved that spot to walk out as the winner. And then just to top it all off with that incredibly brutal looking and yet probably completely safe um, spot where he did the running knees straight into the post oh god yeah which that was a cringeworthy moment for sure yeah and that led to the finisher and the end of the match that was horrible looking like that completely convinced <laughs> me that that was going to end the match and you know what it did like we didn't get any more false finishes after that that was like the perfect ending to that particular story because it made gargano look stronger and capable but mm -hmm. he just he still just came up short because Andrade was just that good. And he did it without mm -hmm. Selena at that point, which also made him look stronger and not like he just needed her to, you know, every step of the way. Not to mention his entrance is awesome. I love that. Uh, I just like the, I like the point that we make about like like there are a lot of instances where you feel like there is just false finish after false finish. And, you know, it just it just feels like it's cheap but in this match it just felt like both of these people were so desperate and both of them needed to win so badly um that it like it, it just felt so right um i yeah it was like like it's not often that i like my fiance watches rest like she watches we watch every pay-per-view usually and uh not usually we, we always watch every pay-per-view and sometimes she'll watch like raw or smackdown with me or whatnot but it's very 
it's quite rare that I'll watch something that she doesn't watch, um, either as Raw or SmackDown or an NXT or TakeOver or whatever, uh, and then immediately be like, oh, like when you get home, we have to watch this match. And, and um, this was one of those matches where it was like, this is something special and and I need to show this to as many people as I can because this is like, this is what, uh, like like it's it's almost hard to describe like i feel like a lot of people that don't watch like when you when they're like oh you watch wrestling like yo you watch wrestling and like they just think of these whatever like cheesy stupid moments have happened over the year and that's their picture of it and like this is what this is this is what it can be um and and i feel like you don't get moments like that that often these days and it was really something special yeah i i think that this was this was another one of those moments that I think really illustrates what NXT is doing that's so special compared to what's going on on the main roster is that I remember reading an article leading up to, to NXT TakeOver and it may have even been something that we said on this podcast, I can't remember, but I've heard it from a bunch of different sources and it really highlighted what I think is a giant issue between NXT and the main roster, which was that they were talking about the outcome of this match. And they were saying, I think Ciampa is going to interfere to cause Gargano to lose. And then they immediately said, but that's not really NXT's way. NXT likes to give us a definitive finish. And it was Mm. like, fucking yeah, (laughs) that's (laughs) like, yeah, they could have had the Ciampa spot happen, but they didn't like, it was like, no, it's important that if we have a match, the match has an ending, especially if it's on a pay-per-view. And then, like, to really make that, like, to, to send that fake out home and have the little NXT logo pop up in the bo- bottom corner of the screen, and you're just like, oh, I guess Ciampa's not showing up. And then he gets attacked was, like, just the cherry on the cake of, like, how smart and how well put together NXT is when it's at its best. And it it gives me hope that one day we can see that on the main roster. It probably will be on the corpse of Vince McMahon when it happens, but like (laughs) maybe when the XFL starts, we'll have a little bit more luck with that. Hopefully I'm hoping he's saying that he's not, he's not losing any control, but I think he's losing plenty of control, but like it, because it, it's so it's all the story. That's the only thing. It's the only thing that's dividing the main roster from being great is the story writing because it's easily the most talented roster possibly ever on the main roster right now, but they're just doing nothing with it. They're doing nothing with, with these big names. Mm. And that's going to lead us right into talking about the Royal rumble. Um, did you guys watch any of the pre-show? Is there really anything worth mentioning that happened on the pre-show? I watched the Bobby Roode open challenge. Cause I was curious who the, yeah. Oh God! <laughs> the mystery opponent was going to be. Yeah. It was just Mojo. So, did you hear what the uh, what the reasoning was behind that? Because they quote unquote had a bi- a bigger idea for the original person. Well, because it was originally going to be Adam Cole. That was where Adam hmm. Cole was going to show up. But then I'm going to assume Triple H on this one, and and thank God for it. But somebody backstage made the statement that we cannot have this guy lose in his debut match in front of the main roster crowd. And that's when they decided to swap him out into a rumble position instead. 
to like be and and like I get that. Like if you're gonna try to make Adam Cole matter and be a big deal, you can't have him losing to Bobby Roode in ten minutes on the pre-show as his first like big Fair. appearance. Um, but then Fair. unfortunately we just got Mojo like the exact same qualifying match that we got. For, yeah, for, 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 yeah, it was like <laughs> it was that was like such a disappointment. Like. <laughs> anyone's music could have hit and i like i don't dislike mojo but there was just no point to that like just like how about nobody comes out and that's like you know and he's like oh i guess nobody wants to fight me like great that's a better uh, that makes more like that is that seems more important than what actually happened and then i heard too that Uh, they were kicking around the idea of having ziggler but then they decided to make him number 30 instead which led to absolutely nothing yeah yeah, see, I like I, I I read that as well, and I would have liked to see I would have liked to see Ziggler in that match. Like, it, it could have put some decent closure on on that kind of because where did that storyline go? Where he you know doesn't care and doesn't need that championship? Like, then he literally is gone until he enters at number thirty and gets eliminated immediately. Then, like, what, what it, is? Next? I would have liked it better if Ziggler was number thirty, got in, and just hopped out. Yeah. Meanwhile, in New Jersey. So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, doesn't show up on SmackDown (laughs) to like explain anything. Like he's just there for a minute and a half. You know, it did show up on SmackDown though. Did he? Or all those intrusive ads oh, that they've been doing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> um, Where they have, like, Microsoft, like, PowerPoint ads flying across the screen in dude, the middle of the show. Oh, we'll get to that. That <laughs> is... I've got uh, positives and negatives on that, but we'll <laughs> we'll get to that soon. Um, yeah, I think you were, you were mentioning the pre-show. I, like, I watched, I watched the whole pre-show. Um, Sammy and Kevin you know, answering questions was really the only highlight. Yeah, to yeah. Me. I was gonna say, Sammy and Kevin answering questions was or not answering questions was yeah. hilarious. Uh, um, the con- two hundred five live match was actually quite good. It was, uh, but it wasn't like yeah, like there's was, nothing I remember about it. It was just. A good I match. I remember there was a like there was a hilarious spot where Jack Gallagher is like climbing across <laughs> the ropes. Uh, oh, and uh, Drew's yelling at and him. And Drew Black is yelling at him, like, no, no. And he's like, it's fine, it's fine, it'll be okay. And then he just falls flat on his face. Um, that was that was hilarious. That, that made the pre-show worth watching. That was only made better by after he falls on the face, it cuts to Drew Gulak, and you can hear him clear as day go, Jack, what did you why did you do it? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Uh, everything about Drew Gulak is so entertaining to me. He is the best totally. comedic timing. Um and also the the Q and A with Kevin and Sammy, just lots of shout outs for Max Moon. Just... I, I mostly just watch it for Renee. But, uh... <laughs> uh, but then we get into the actual show, and this show was a real roller coaster. Uh, I loved the opening match. I loved AJ Styles versus Sammy and Kevin. I thought that the way that Sammy and Kevin were just taking advantage of being able to tag in and out at will was incredibly funny. Um, Specifically, I remember 
Kevin rolling out of the ring and then running over to where Sammy is and sliding in. Like, they just, it was so delightfully crazy. I liked the finish. I like the like I there's I like this match a lot. It was a it was a good match. I, I, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the interaction with Shane McMahon afterwards oh, yeah. with you know, like Owens doing his typical yelling like how he got screwed and like did you see that and he just he just says yep and walks away. Like that was that was a hilarious moment. Yeah. That was really I, well I, written. I like that angry i was like then they're 100 percent right about you <laughs> yeah well and but one thing i did not like is if like it, it just feels like they've been building and building and building so much to something happening between you know shane and and uh daniel bryan or or whatnot and i was also partially expecting like like you know an ulterior motive for daniel putting this match together in that maybe it would do something in in terms of uh, driving a rift between Sammy and Kevin in some way, but none of none of any of those things happened, and it seemed like the like what they've been built like Sammy and Kevin and AJ have almost felt like side characters in this whole thing, or supporting uh, supporting characters in this whole in this whole thing, and and then it seemed like they forgot about like the main characters. Well, in that's this, the thing; in this they're part, like which... supporting characters to to a match that might not even be able to happen, and that's like exactly yeah, and I. And, and I don't know if any, I have not had a chance to watch SmackDown yet for this week. So I don't know if that, I don't know if they got back to it at oh. all last night, but I was kind of disappointed in that. I, I was like, oh, is this whole thing over then? Because I'll, I'll like confirm that. that what you think Daniel Bryan's trying to do with Sammy and Kevin becomes more clear. Uh, okay, great. So that, that at least happened on SmackDown. Uh, then it was followed by. What really shocked me, the two out of three falls match with the Usos being super short and only two falls. Like, that was... We were all baffled at my Royal Rumble party when that happened. The match felt like it was a one-fall match that they just added a roll-up to at the end. Yeah. Like, it was... It was was a really long first fall where they got in all their spots, and then the second fall was in, like, a minute where they just rolled up Shelton... Or they uh, double super kicked Shelton. That was it. Yeah. It was it was it was bizarre and it really isn't that like it wasn't that memorable in retrospect but I think it's because this year's rumble was easily one of the best rumbles in a very long time. I had so much fun watching the men's rumble and it was still really weird to be this early in the card but like the the Heath Slater storyline the way that Oh, the Heath Slater was fucking brilliant. (laughs) Rusev just being beyond over, making Finn your Iron Man for the match, like all of those. He was he was no sixty one minute man, but he did pretty well. (laughs) Yeah, and then it felt like they completely uh, negated that. I felt felt sorry for Titan. Yeah, well, and then like there was no point to any of that, and. it, it's like how long has it been since Ty Dillinger's been on TV? <laughs> I mean, he got a few seconds of getting beaten up, but uh, uh, I, I, I like him. And there was Sammy didn't need to be in that match, and he didn't do anything in that match either. Well, not to ruin SmackDown for you, but Ty gets to be on TV on SmackDown this week. Ah, uh, uh, I, I don't know whether to be excited. Doesn't or scared. go well for him. <laughs> it's like, uh, so, but yeah, like you had, you had unprecedented CN almost being it like that was when that happened I lost my mind because that was unexpected Adam Cole baby you had uh yeah okay so we do a thing where we throw a bunch of money into a hat everyone draws numbers 
my friend Brian was running late. Him and his girlfriend were coming, and they asked me to put their numbers to the side. And we didn't know what numbers they had. We flipped them upside down. And then just as like people came out, if we if no one claimed that they had that number, we assumed it was either Brian or Brian's girlfriend. Mm. So they got so caught up in traffic that they didn't show up until the twentieth entrant. So they so oh, they geez. look at their numbers, and his girlfriend's like, "Okay, well I have uh, number four, and we're like, he was eliminated. I have num I have number <laughs> eight, he was eliminated, and we're like, she's like, all right, well I have number twenty one, and we're like, oh, he's about to come out next, and she goes, oh maybe it's a good one." And all of a sudden, the Hurricanes music starts playing. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, oh, he's a superhero. That might be good. And we're all like, no, we, we can categorically tell you that you can just throw that number in the trash can because it is not happening for you tonight. Um, but then. That was a great oh, moment, fantastic. though. But yeah. Rey Mysterio was such a big moment. Um, it was nice to see him come out and not get booed out of the building. Yeah get get a hero's he, welcome he, he, honestly he he looked like he was in such good shape i i like aside from seeing him a few times like i'm not that familiar with him because i didn't watch when he was present but like he could fucking yeah. move well and yeah, I, it's amazing what a couple years off the road will do huh yeah <laughs> well and i love so so we have i'm trying to think if there's any other big moments leading up to the final six because i want to talk about how brilliantly done the final six was um but you've got this like perfect divide of old and new where you've got ray mysterio mm. john cena and randy orton standing on one side of the ring and you've got reigns finn and nakamura and it was just this series of they had these six guys it did feel like any of them could win like it was this smart decision where all six of them, you could kind of book a WrestleMania match around in one way or another. And then they just kept eliminating one by one, like, here's a f here's someone that people probably would be okay with winning. Here's someone that they don't want to win. Let's So it's like, all right, we got rid of Rey Mysterio, who I think no one would complain if Rey Mysterio suddenly, unexpectedly won the Royal Rumble because it'd be like a crazy swerve. But then we definitely didn't want to see Randy Orton win the Royal Rumble. So get him out of there. And then, then they eliminate Finn Balor where it's like, oh, but you could do so much if Finn Balor won. And then they eliminate John Cena, who you definitely didn't want to see win. And then it was just this fucking beautiful, like, are they really going to go with Nakamura or are they going to disappoint us? And it was so, <laughs> it was so tense to watch. Um, and I mean, even like the way that they gave us these random, like they they found these cool ways to like knock two guys out so that we would get a nice little singles match between two, like a dream singles match yeah. for a little bit. And then they get knocked out and the next two guys would have their little singles match. It was just everything about it was very smart. It was very cool. I would say it was the match of the night, except that we had the women's Royal Rumble, which I think is going to be the thing that people talk about for a ton of reasons. But all in all, was there anything that you guys felt like when you walked away from the Rumble that you were disappointed by? Or or were you kind of like, this was a really good Rumble? I, I thought the Rumble was the best one that they've done in a really long time. Probably one of the best Rumbles they've ever done, actually. Um, I loved Reigns' cell of the Kinshasa, the way he popped right back up to be thrown out. I thought that was really well done. <laughs> uh, it did have me really, even though it went against my better judgment, that wouldn't be the first time that they 
did something that didn't make sense just to swerve people. So I was terrified <laughs> that Reigns was going to win. But I thought I thought there were parts of it that were really well done. Like the Heath Slater thing was hilarious. And when he got thrown in by Sheamus, only for him to immediately knock Sheamus out. I thought that was fantastic. I thought... Um, How do you feel about the Corbin Kofi save? Up. The Kofi save was funny. I mean, I feel like at this point... Between him and John Morrison, they've kind of exhausted all of the physical well, somewhat... like feats that you could do. So now at this point, you just got to come up with some weird shit. Jack the Jobber, but... Jack the Jobber made a comment that made me laugh. Where he goes, "So wait, it's been thirty-one WrestleMania uh, Royal Rumbles, and no one thought I could just hop on one foot for a while." <laughs> so, but uh... then. Yeah, I, I mean that. I thought that spot was really funny and integrated the whole pancakes <laughs> thing, especially with like Biggie feeding Heath pancakes right before he got in, like when he was struggling to get back up. But yeah, that whole. Uh, what about like when he pulled it out of his like shorts and uh, stuffed it yeah. in Heath Slater's? Really, the the bigger <laughs> thing was the way that they like rocketed Kofi over Jinder was like worth it all. Oh was, yeah! Like, Holy crap! Yeah. Oh, and then seeing Jinder just get, like, bombarded with pancakes <laughs> after, after he gets thrown out. And I was like, oh, I guess... And that was very much a, like, oh, I guess his push is over. Yeah. Moment. But, like, I really I love... I guess India's, India's a bust. Right? <laughs> no, but I really love the Corbin spot where he knocked out everybody only for Elias to come down and just sing. Which I think or, was like, really smart. The microphone while everyone is down. Oh, it yeah. was really smart booking. Like, at first, I'm like, what are they doing? Why are all these guys out of the ring and... Then Elias came out. I'm like, oh, this is great because now you can set up Elias getting to sing his song until the next. Like, there was just it was very smart. It was very well paced. It it was one of the few rumbles where almost every person's position in the rumble made sense. Where you're like, like it was setting up the next piece of the puzzle, which was really cool. And then unfortunately, yeah. the fucking tag team champions match had to follow it, and it was just. The most forgettable, <laughs> easily the worst match of the night. Speaking speaking of Seth, though, there's one thing that I just remembered that really pissed me off about the Rumble, which is the way that Roman eliminated Seth. And then Seth oh, was yeah. kind of like laughing about it. I'm like, fuck off. That, that's, <laughs> like, that's oh, oh you. <laughs> and, then they re- and then they repeated the spot later on the Women's Royal Rumble. It was like. Ugh, and these people are supposed to be top baby faces. I'm like, you're you're trying to get me to like these. People. I don't. I don't. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. I don't know about that one per se. I I think that that one could be the slight inclin like a slight bit of a heel turn happening. I would believe that if the announcers weren't hammering home so hard that oh it's okay because Seth would have done it. No too. no no That's no no. no. I was talking about the the women's one. <laughs> oh okay yeah yeah. Uh, but yeah no the 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 Roman and and. The Roman and Rollins like ending of uh, the ending of uh, Return of the King, like laughing, smiling at each other thing can just go to hell. Uh, (laughs) I mean, is there anything to talk about with the Raw tag team match that was kind of just a whatever match? Yeah, like speaking of inadvertently coming off as a dick, like it made Rollins kind of seem like an asshole that he was yelling at his partner for apparently having a concussion. He's like, I don't give a fuck if you have brain damage. Get in the ring. Did you guys? Do you guys read that? Apparently, Jordan is legitimately injured, and that's potentially why it played out like yeah. that. And and the following nights, um, like at the live events, he has also not wrestled. He's been at ringside, but not been tagged in or and whatever. We were talking about how Sheamus um, has been hurt too last time. So, 
I mean, the the answer in that case would have either just been to not have the match or just make the match a like two minute thing, not totally. drag it out for eleven minutes when two yeah. of the four guys can't wrestle. But again, like you need more tag team, like yeah, no, you totally. need more tag teams specifically on Raw because they have nothing. They have two teams that have been fighting back and forth for eternity, and both of them are working injured right now. Didn't they say that this is Sheamus and Cesaro's like fourth tag team title reign together, and they've only been a team for like yeah. a year? <laughs> something like that yeah so so what they really need to do is hold a tag team classic uh so that they can pull some so that they can bring some of those folks in uh like they did with the may young classic and the cruise they, they just need to and then they could have 410 live yeah and... jesus christ uh and then this was followed by better than anticipated brock lesnar braun Strowman, and kane um not like anything that's noteworthy not anything that's great but I really thought this was going to be the worst match of the night, and I was pleasantly surprised it was the exact right length. Although the best part of the match had nothing to do with the match itself, but when Strowman kneed Brock in the head, and then Brock responded by like, oh, that was punching awful, him right in the head. So good. Um, well, and I love, I just love... I feel like, like, I, like I didn't understand. Like, that was a moment where I was like, all right, like, it didn't look like what Braun did was on purpose, but that punch was like... You're a legitimate, but like you're a legitimate MMA fighter, and you just straight up punched a dude who wasn't expecting you to punch him in the temple like that. Like even if it was something where like, oh, you hit me, I gotta hit you back. Like that seemed over. That that felt overboard. And seeing he that replay, and, he looked like yeah, he was like almost he, knocked out. Totally. Like oh, it, like it was. It just felt like too much. But god damn it if i don't yeah. love Braun. i mean Braun, like this just makes me love braun Strowman more and more because like him standing at on the side of the ring taunting brock the whole time with like you still didn't beat me and then just jump in there real quick because it's not worth discussing at length on this episode especially because we're close to an hour as is but uh braun with alexa bliss in the mixed match challenge this week was fantastic and adorable yeah that was so <laughs> like, funny uh the finisher was was gorgeous and i hope that they continue to use alexa bliss doing her twisted bliss off of brock's shoulders as like a thing because it's stunning that hasn't aired in canada (laughs) sorry uh and then (laughs) bouncing back again to the final the main event i didn't think that they were going to go with this as the main event but i was uh, it was it was cool to see it like it was i wasn't expecting it at all either but it was neat to see it come on last I wasn't expecting it to be the main event until they did that opening uh, video package to start the show. And almost the entire video package is about the history of women's wrestling and how this is such a big night. I was like, okay, I can see. Well, and then like it was one of those moments where when it went last, I was like, okay, well, then they definitely have a ton of great appearances that are up their sleeve. And Kelly Kelly. Uh, So, so, yeah, I mean, the Women's Royal Rumble, I, I think that they're. I feel like it it was important. It was historic. It was very good. There was a lot of great moments, but there was still a fair amount of like rough things that I didn't like. It, it didn't feel like after seeing how well paced the men's match was, it felt like there was definite pacing issues where like there was just so many, like I didn't like how it seemed like everyone was in and out of the ring substantially more than in the men's match, but was, it also felt like Sasha, Sasha, was the iron woman of that match and she was on the outside for like 50 percent of that match yeah if not if not more yeah so that that like it it, and i don't know like it was in the men's match but you know they would just be 
clutching to the ropes on the sides or whatever, but that just made it feel more legitimate than her just disappearing and reappearing like every few minutes. Yeah. Um, and I, and, I, I, it's my turn to be in the minority, but I actually liked that better for whatever reason. <laughs> I didn't, I noticed that they were outside the ring a lot of the time, but to me, it's always kind of goofy in the Royal Rumbles, like the men's one where it's like, you know, in a normal match, they'll get stomped. And then within like five seconds or whatever, they'll get back up and they'll be fighting back. But then the Royal Rumble, they'll take like the slightest, <laughs> they'll be down for five minutes in the corner while they focus on two or three people. Whereas it, it's different and I get why it's jarring, but at least in the women with them rolling out, it makes sense because due to the rules of the match you can't lose if you're outside the ring Uh so if you're you know if you're at a disadvantage what makes more sense like sitting in the corner and acting hurt and looking like a prime target to get eliminated or getting out of the ring and making it look like you're not around people kind of aren't focused on you so to me it made more sense that way yeah no i I mean it's just i didn't like that i i think that the women's royal rumble also kind of to me, highlighted a slight problem. And it's a problem that WWE has in general. But there is a point where, like, there was almost too many legends. And, like, I get it. Like, I get that that's important. But I almost wish that there was a little bit more of an evenly distributed, like, couldn't we have gotten rid of Kelly Kelly and put, like, Peyton Royce in there? Like, there's just, like, a hand. I was, I was surprised to not see Peyton Royce and yeah. uh, the other one in the <laughs> in the match. Because it's... Yes, it's definitely yeah, okay. one of those things where, like, the legends you really kind of doubt are going to win it. Like, at least the NXT people, it's like, oh well, maybe, like, maybe they'll they'll call them up um, through through the Royal Rumble. But like, you know, like we know that we're not going to get like another run from Lita. I'll tell you who I walked away wishing we would get another run from was Molly Holly, who looked like she had that. she had missed a step up in that ring. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. is funny because, as far as I know, I think she's been the least active since retiring yeah. out of everyone that came back. Isn't she like a teacher now or something? Yeah, she like retired, really. retired. Uh, also, I mean, God bless everything that is getting Vicky Guerrero for just a couple. Of no- <laughs> just reminding you just how obnoxious she can be and it being so fantastic. I love how she, like, for almost no reason, just grabbed Carmela's briefcase and knocked her out. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, like what What was that about and we didn't get to talk about this last week because this happened last week on uh this happened before we recorded the last episode but i have to say the last like two three weeks and and the mix match challenge has helped a little bit in this i have just gotten so over with carmella like i really Mm. like what she brings to the matches because she she has that annoying squawk and scream for help. Oh, it's great. But it's yeah, it's nothing that anyone else is doing, and it makes her kind of stand out. And and I don't know, she's just a very. I'm really liking everything that they're doing with her character. Uh, and I guess we can't like talk about what happened. Going to get eliminated. Yeah, and you can't talk about what happened on SmackDown, but. Shit, did she cash in? Don't tell me. <laughs> but she's or, or do she's she just didn't becoming, she didn't cash in? Did she? She's never going to. <laughs> she's just becoming so entertainingly great. Um, I will say. Uh, did 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 anybody else find it awkward that it just felt awkward until the very end where it made sense? But with Charlotte and with Alexa, like just hanging out yeah. outside the ring and not doing anything. I was not aware yeah. that they got to pick who they challenged after they won. I was just like, okay, so clearly Oscar's going after Alexa Bliss. 
Mm-hmm. But this is built to a theory that I have now. Um, well, I mean, we'll we'll quickly address the elephant in the room. Ronda Rousey showed up for some reason, and it kind of just felt completely out of place and awkward. But uh, <laughs> I, if I was the fantasy book, I think the following things are going to happen. Thing number one, Asuka's going to make it a triple threat match between her, Charlotte, and Alexa to unify the belts into a single women's belt. And then they kind of have a halo champion that bounces between the shows, which I think would be great. And B, I think that Carmella cashes in at WrestleMania. Those are my two predictions at this time. I saw someone mention that, that Oscar's winning streak ends with Carmella cashing in on her. And I think that would be great. So so I think that if in that situation, I think it would be a, a Seth Rollins cashing in on Roman Reigns type situation where she would absolutely be pinning like Charlotte or Alexa to get the belt as opposed to Asuka. Uh, Cause I want it to happen like mid match, not post post the win. Mm. Um, I mean, it could still happen. It could still happen mid match, but I feel like the best way to do it would be to have her pin Asuka because I feel like the winning streak in a way is kind of weighing down on not necessarily Asuka, but whoever could beat her. I feel like they're booking her to the point where it feels unrealistic for anyone who's currently on the roster to beat her legitimately. So the best way to get the winning streak out of the way is to have someone like Carmella just sneak in and like steal it. Like That's, after Asuka's already been worn that out makes sense. and I was would, already in the middle of another match. I still want it to be Ember Moon. And I want it to be Ember Moon because I like that even in the Rumble, they continued this storyline that like, Ember actually has Asuka's number. Like, every time that she has had a match against Asuka, it's been the time that Asuka's been the most heelish, and she's had to, like, cut corners and and stuff, where it's like, I like that dynamic, and the only other route that I would want them to take is that Ember never beats Asuka, and it becomes, like, the women's version of of Shawn Michaels and Undertaker. But, like, Mm. either way, I, I don't know. I'm fine with what, but I think that I think that we're going to see unified women's belts, and frankly, I think that's a good thing. I think we should have unified women's belts and a unified tag belt, and not try to split an already small division into two smaller divisions like this anymore. I feel like it would be a good idea in theory, but I don't know how well WWE is going to be able to write one title for two shows when they barely can handle what they're doing now. This is true. It's yeah, just like fair. it, cause it, I think that Carmella winning the money in the bank briefcase really highlighted a huge issue, which is like, what's the point of a money in a bank and a money in a bank briefcase when you only have eight women in the division, one of them's the champion and the other one has a money in the bank briefcase and you still have to hand out title shots every once in a while. So you've got someone with the money in the bank briefcase having title shot after title shot. Like it's just very, bizarre like it shouldn't be that way um but that's i mean that's really it i i will say that this Uh, also really shot us into the stratosphere with raw and smackdown this week reminding us that the road to wrestlemania is the best time to watch main roster tv because suddenly they're like oh maybe our matches should matter and things should be important (laughs) (laughs) even though it feels like they threw that out the window the next day (laughs) I know you guys aren't fans, but I did like uh, it was cool seeing both Nikki and Brie show up yeah. to me. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and I was uh, to you about how I really didn't like the way like Br- uh, Nikki just dumped Brie. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I thought you were talking about Sasha throwing out Bailey, which I was like, I think that that's a- no, no, no. I was 
Oh yeah, no, I was talking about the way Nikki threw out Bree. Oh okay, that was so stupid, and it was. Like, I I mean when I, when it happened, I thought my thought was like I can't wait to hear this storyline in Total Divas next season. <laughs> no, that's what I was actually hearing. That the, the whole reason they did that elimination is because they're going to do it as a Total Divas plot where Bree's mad at Nikki for dumping. I, I mean, I mean, I'm into that. <laughs> like, Jesus, but it's like. I don't know. Like we were talking about how we know that the legends or who or the returning superstars don't have a chance to win it, which is why I kind of thought it was weird to have Nikki Bella be the, in the final two because, for all intents and purposes, she's still on the injured list, and so I mean, or maybe she's back back now. I have no idea. They didn't even mention her on SmackDown, did they? Yeah, really. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they did, but um, but yeah, uh. I thought the women's Royal Rumble was really well done. I thought it was weird that Michelle McCool went nuts and just like dumped six people. <laughs> yeah, that she had when... she had the most eliminations of anybody in the uh, Rumble. In both Royal Rumbles, and, and they were like they were all within like thirty seconds. I was like, man, like she wasn't even that dominant when she was a wrestler. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there was there's one thing that was poignant to me during that match that I wanted to point out, and it kind of relates back to what you mentioned earlier, Matt, about how many legends they had. And I feel like as the first Women's Royal Rumble, the goal that with this match, and it was kind of playing in their favor since they have so few women on the main roster as it is, but I feel like they were using this as an opportunity to kind of celebrate the history of the entire division up until this oh, point. Oh, and I agree. I just hope that this means that they're going to get more women on the main roster so that they don't have to do this every time that there's a Women's Royal Rumble from this yeah, point on. That, yeah, they definitely shouldn't do that again, but for <laughs> this particular... It was just there was something really cool about seeing women like to an extent Trish and Lita because it took a while for the crowds to start taking them seriously. But people who the crowds never really treated with respect, like, say, Tori Wilson and Jacqueline and even Kelly Kelly, for as bad as she was, was really just a product of what the company wanted from the women at the time and not really on her as much, I feel. Yeah. And it was really cool to see them come out and be treated with respect and to be getting these big ovations and for fucking Kelly Kelly to be getting like this huge pop when she comes out. <laughs> and it's so uh, cool. I, to I see. cannot believe Tori Wilson's 42 years old. I know. Right. She looks younger now than she did like 20 all years of, ago. All of them. Look, most of them looked better than some of the actual young talent on, on the roster right now, which is like crazy <laughs> to say, but no, it was, yeah. it was a good, I think it was a very good pay-per-view. I would actually argue that, as far as the main roster pay-per-views go, that this Royal Rumble was better than almost any of 2017's pay-per-views. It was just a pretty good show. Like, even the even the Raw tag team match, even though it was clearly the worst match of the night, was still, like, not unwatchable. It was just poorly placed. It was like a, it was a Raw <laughs> yeah, match. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> like, that's pretty much what it was. Yeah, I thought it was one of the better pay-per-views they've done and I thought both Rumbles were two of the best, better Rumbles they've done in a while. Like, my only real complaints about the Women's Rumble was that Stephanie's commentary was a troll. Oh, I, I saw a hilarious uh, tweet that said you could have replaced her with one of the announcers from 2K18, and it would actually have been she an was, improvement. Sometimes she was saying things that had nothing to do with the questions they were asking her. Like it was, like she, she had, she had advertise, she had like bullet points she wanted to make sure she hit. Yeah, once like, she just had all these. What like, happened? Just like these one word, like, wow, like, this is real important. Like, just like, holy the, crap, the, it was um, bad. Yeah. And it's the fucking, uh, the uh, interesting uh, facts oh, sorry, throughout were fantastic. Specifically, I think one of them was just interesting fact. She's from Kentucky. 
Oh. Stephanie was just too uh, much. like I honestly want to watch the match again just to listen to everything she said. There, I can't remember what it was, but I think Corey asked her a question. Her response was like, "Oh, we're making history tonight," and it had nothing to do with what he said. <laughs> but like, and it's not the fault of the match itself. But the only other thing that was slightly like that kind of put a damper on it to me is that I feel like I feel like there's five people we always say, and the company always pushes, "Oh." women's revolution divas revolution it was because of stephanie it was because of the four horsewomen it was because of fucking total divas or whatever but to me there's five people that were responsible for the divas revolution and four of the five weren't there and i think something about that was really kind of sad to me who so even though so i was i'm imagining Paige and emma Paige, emma aj caitlin and Rhonda. okay i feel like without Rhonda, vince would have never even taken given it a second thought to push the women as serious competitors, but Ronda proved they can draw Yeah, in combat sports. So without Ronda, I don't think you get any of it. But at the, at the same time that Paige and Emma were proving that people could get invested in women's wrestling matches in WWE, uh, AJ and Caitlin were proving that women could get over as characters on the main roster. Cause you had, a, at the time you had a, we were just coming off of a dream feud between CM Punk and Daniel Bryan at, the lowest one of the lowest points of the divas division and between daniel bryan and cm punk somehow in the middle of all that aj ended up being the one who was like the most over in that feud and it was just that carried over to caitlin who did an incredible job as champion relative to the state of the division at the time and all of those things kind of came together to lead to what we have today and it just kind of sucked that none of them were there except for ronda which is kind of ironic because she's not even a wrestler up until that same day. Do you think that Paige would have won had she not get in, gotten injured? Or do you think it was always going to go to Asuka? No, I think it was always going to go to Asuka. Especially the way that they treated Ruby in the match. So it's like abs- uh, Absolution uh, minus Paige, of course, and then the entirety of the Riot Squad were all kind of just treated like any other person in there. Fair enough. So I don't really feel like they would have treated Paige much different than they treated Ruby. All right. Well, we will be back next week uh, where we're going to be discussing a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, Obviously, a little bit of Elimination Chamber predictions would be involved in there. Uh, And we'll be discussing how much better Coach is as an announcer than pretty much anything else he's ever done in his career. So (laughs) join us in two weeks for Double Countout Episode 4. Face of fear, ready to say hell, I'ma take you there, so run or submit to me, cause salvation's a mystery. I suggest you run from the new face of fear, ready to say hell, I'ma take you there, so run or submit to me, cause salvation's a mystery. I suggest you run. Meanwhile, in New Jersey. So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. Hi-o! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app.